Christy. Hello. So nice to speak to you again after our definite, absolutely, for real, two-week absence from recording this podcast. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No bullshit. Let's get straight into it. Yes. Uh, You know the score. Uh, Christy, what you recommended for me was a Japanese TV show called Antiquarian Bookstore Biblius Case Files, uh, based on a light novel series about the proprietor and staff of uh, an antiquarian bookstore who get involved in what is often the more sort of genteel sort of mystery um i thought this was you know i thought that you know we were in the kind of like cozy crime lost cat kind of vein with this but um i was surprised let's say the first note that i made pretty much as soon as i started watching the first episode was that i love the design so much i love the 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 design of the of the bookstore set it's it's always lit as if it's like afternoon there's like (laughs) You know, it's yeah. all like you know wood panels. It's like it dark commits wood to its aesthetic for sure. <laughs> You're like, where are they? It's like dark wood and stained glass windows, and I'm like, oh my god, yeah. I want to live there. Because when I first started, I was like, okay, and then they show you the bookstore. I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, all right, I have an idea of what's going for here. No matter what time of day it's supposed to be, there's always this like warm, buttery, afternoony sunlight coming in through the stained glass windows, and it's yeah, it's just beautiful and. It makes the the show makes excellent use of the space by using um, the bookshelves to frame actors, like in shots, especially in long shots. You know, you'll often get like a long shot, like down the entire length of the shop to like someone sitting in the desk that's like the counter, or like a long shot of someone you know dramatically coming. This seems to happen a lot where they'll have someone. Like, I don't know if it was once an episode, but it seemed like it where someone would you know at, at, at the denouement someone would dramatically come in through the door of the shop and then slow motion walk down the central aisle. The introduction of, of the mystery part. It's like, oh, here we go. Like, someone's coming down the aisle. We are not gonna, we don't see their face yet, but we see their feet. We see their hands. We see them passing the books. Oh, you know, because, like, they're not stopping to look at anything. They're walking with the purpose right to the back. <laughs> I really love the show, as you can probably tell. Um, the... <laughs> Why did you just? Why did you just turn into a I Sesame don't know, Street character? Man. I don't know. <laughs> it's like suddenly I'm on the line with Elmo. Um, <laughs> I was going more for Muppet, but it's, it's just a thin line. <laughs> That's a debate for another podcast. I think. <laughs> uh, so I thought it was really clever how every episode was tied in to a particular book. Yeah, and the sort of the way the the themes of the book were evoked within the episode in you know in very interesting ways. Um, a few times they had. Um, illustrations to add a visual element to the you know because otherwise it would just be characters like describing books to each other so <laughs> occasionally they they have like these they have these like really cool like almost like watercolory illustrations of like scenes from the book where they'd, they'd be like sort of pen they look like sort of very like scratchy like pen drawings with like a sort of water watercolory kind of wash over them one, one of the books that an episode was about was a clockwork orange by anthony uh, burgess yes. and it had um, like illustrations based on illustrations that had obviously been drawn from the film and the illustration of Malcolm McDowell as Alex was very unnerving but then I think a lot of that is just Malcolm McDowell's face so I can't <laughs> sort of hold the artist too responsible for that. A thing that I really this is going to sound silly, a thing that I really liked at the end was for the end credits of every episode they'd have info, they'd have like illustrations and they'd have text sort of talking about you know the author or the book 
that had been sort of touched on in that episode. Yeah, or like the publication history of that book in Japan. Yeah, and it was kind of silly, but it reminded me a lot of the the Super Sentai series, Resha Sentai Tokyuja, which was all about... (laughs) you know power rangers on a magic train at the end yeah. of the every episode of that they'd have like photos of like actual trains from like various prefectures in japan and i really liked watching the end credits just for the trains because <laughs> they give you a little info yeah it kind of reminded me a little bit of that it's like here's some cool stuff about this book um this book it was sorry this this, this see I'm, I'm too focused <laughs> on books now um this show was kind of torture for me in a way because it just reminded me that there are so many cool books like by Japanese authors that I may never get to read because they might yes. never be translated into English. Like the Detective Boy series, I'd love to read that. That sounds yeah. amazing. Never gonna get translated. <laughs> never. Yeah, it's, it, at this point, I'm seriously started. Like I might have to be one of those people who just like learns Japanese <laughs> and learns to read Japanese. I I I'm um, glad you really liked it. Um, I loved I, it. I thought it was brilliant. I I thought you would because I really liked. The thing that blew me away the first time, again, I just started watching it. I was like, this looks cool. It has a long name. I like books. Sure. <laughs> so, like, literally, I just like, weren't. And so I started watching it. And I was blown away in the first episode about how, one, how emotional I got. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> Two, how the, mis- like, the mystery, like, there's a core mystery that's a mystery mystery, right? Like, they're trying to figure something out. But the way, but it always seems secondary to the emotional aspect or relationship people have with with books and with stories mm, yes and, we'll be getting to that and that's mm-hmm. that's the core of the series that i really 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 enjoyed and it can sound so boring it's like it's a mystery story show about people's feelings on books <laughs> like, that's literally <laughs> what it is but it's oh, so good don't, don't get me wrong there are there are certain people who to <laughs> whom that that pitch will be like catnip yeah they'll be like i need this now thank you I'm just um, I'm so happy I stumbled into it and that I have someone to share it with like <laughs> uh, to talk about the characters um or the main characters uh the main character is um Shinokawa Shioriko mm-hmm. Shioriko am I saying that right Shiriko I believe Shiriko um right the first time I saw her on screen I'm I was immediately like I know you from something what do I know you from <laughs> What Carmen <laughs> Riser or Super Sentai have I seen you in? So, but after I finished watching the whole series, I looked looked her up. Kind of like you know, where do I know you from? And uh, she played uh, Jun, uh, Jun the Swan in the live action Gatchaman movie, ah. um, which which uh, American and British listeners of a certain age will remember as Battle of the Planets. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget what she was called in that because I refuse to acknowledge its existence. <laughs> <laughs> Princess. Really? Yeah. Fucking hell. <laughs> <sighs> anyway. Yeah, that's um, pretty bad. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Shinokawa Shioriko, uh, played by Ayami Gariki, she is like a textbook example of the term elfin. She she looks like... <laughs> it's intense. You know, she, she's got this like little sort of pixie bob like, haircut, and she's very... Serene and calm she's kind of unnerving to people like me because she seems to have her shit together so much that it's kind of like an indictment of who you are as a person <laughs> yeah um, the most unnerving thing is she always has this shawl around and i can't oh, wear a goddamn blanket around my arms without fucking losing <laughs> it falling down or tripping myself or whatever and she's always just perfectly posed with this shawl and that was the most intimidating thing i've ever seen in my whole life i'm so jealous of her wardrobe usually like the only other like 
TV show character I think I've ever really experienced this with is um, uh, Lucy Liu as Joan Watson in Elementary. Yeah, Yeah, I I want pretty much everything she wears, and the same was true of uh, Shiriko. It's like it was all these like you know like frilly shirts and big cardigans and and long long skirts. Pulled it off so well, and it's like God, you look amazing, you bastard. She looks so comfy. Like her life is just sitting in chairs reading books, which it probably is. But damn. (laughs) <laughs> and it gets across the character so well so instantly she sort of in terms of her character she was a really interesting take on like the sort of the, the classic detective archetype because like a lot of the times like if you're not talking about like just like a pure detective like you know Sherlock Holmes or Poirot or um, a police detective usually the detective is someone who works in a field that requires a lot of you know analytical skill that's why there, you know there, there are lots of series like where you know the the detective is like is a doctor yeah because you know to be a doctor you have to be able to make sort of logical deductions based on observations yeah and um or like you know you you occasionally get it with like say like if if a character is a priest they're often you know they often sort of they deal a lot with people and sort of learn things about people i guess that they could like piece bits together so the sort of the link with the analytical skills that are necessary for like an antiquarian bookstore proprietor to be able to like evaluate because if someone like brings in like a pile of books and says i want to sell these they have to like go through every single book and do an evaluation figure out what kind of like the market price for it would be and all that sort of stuff Uh, and to have sort of that those analytical skills transferred to you know inferring details of a person and the way that they use that and it it informs the construction of you know when she basically like builds a case um, this is also going to sound like a bit of a weird observation, but uh, one of the other main things that this really reminded me of was Ace Attorney. <laughs> Just like, bit, you know, yeah. slowly getting like bits of, you know, like you, you slowly get like, you know, b- bits of the mystery sort of start to come together and it's all done through, it's all done through dialogue, you know, or like, part, yeah. you know, going to like somewhere and having a good old look around, which is basically the mystery genre in a nutshell, but <laughs> yeah talking in one place going to the other looking at it and then talking <laughs> uh there are there are characters uh who who we will get to that i could see turning up in an ace attorney game and like <laughs> being on the stand um uh, with it with their odd ways and mannerisms um <laughs> fujinami yeah <laughs> yeah oh the, we'll the cafe guy yeah we will get to him oh my um, god uh the other main character is uh is a guy called uh gora daisuke and he ha- he's i don't know if it's if it's like supposed to be that he has dyslexia because they, they, sure. they, they don't sort of call it that but he's got this kind of like issue with it. like he's not able to read books um he experienced he seems to experience some some kind of like weird combination of like vertigo and nausea they they alluded to like seasickness i think is what it reminded yeah. me the most of so he has no kind of like connection with books and he, he goes to um the bookstore uh to sell um, the, some books that had belonged to his late grandmother and he gives them to like to Shuriko to evaluate and she sort of infers just based on what you know one book out of this like 30 book set this one book is so different that she like infers this like you know and it, it's not like a sort of it's not really like a criminal mystery it's more like a personal mystery yeah she's able to like deduce stuff about Daisuke's fam- you know, uh, Daisuke's, family you know Daisuke's family his family his family history and stuff that he doesn't know about but she's able to you know tell just from this one book it gives her that kind of inkling probably the main problem i had with daisuke was that 
his surname was Gora, and people sort of called him, you know, Gora-san a lot. And that kept tripping me up, because I kept thinking of Goma, which are the giant Cyclopean <laughs> spiders from The Legend of Zelda. So I'd be thinking, you know, like I'd be, like I'd watch an episode, and then I'd be like making some quick notes about it, and I'd write Goma instead of Gora, and I'd be like, wait, no, that's a spider. Cross that out. I really sort of admired him a lot for, you know, because he ends up working at the bookshop, and uh, even though he's not able to read books, he still sort of, like, throws himself completely, like, wholeheartedly into it, you know, to, to he's, you know, he's very, very dedicated to working in the bookshop, even though he yeah. can't read the books. And, you know, people sort of bring it up that it's weird, and, you know... Why are you working here? I was kind of just thinking, mate, why don't you just get audiobooks? <laughs> just get, like, an Audible account, you'll be fine. Because a, a lot of the stuff that comes up in the cases are really, like relates to something that's in a book uh in some way one of the things that sort of kept coming to me because of who i am as a person is there's probably a different version of this show where he's like a book themed carmen rider and <laughs> the shop is his base there's like a secret base underneath the shop where he yeah. does his carmen rider ink from and there's even like a cafe which is the usually something you usually get in a lot of carmen riders but mostly i thought he was a very interesting spin on like the watson archetype because like so because most of the other characters are you know versed in the world of antiquarian bookselling he becomes like you know the ne- the necessary like audience surrogate yeah but you know partly because you know if, if they need to explain something about the antiquarian bookselling world like how you know buying fairs and stuff like that work um they could explain it to him because yeah. it's like his first one since he started working at the bookshop or if it's like something from a book you know, obviously, because of his inability to read, they have to sort of turn to him and be like, "Well, in this book, yeah, um, he's he's one of the best audience surrogate characters I've experienced." You know, like I I enjoy the character as themselves, but it's very obvious that he's also there to ask the questions and <laughs> you know have things explained to him. But he's such a nice and sweet individual who so earnestly wants to know these things that are being explained to him that you're like, oh. <laughs> Like he, I, he endeared himself <laughs> to me very quickly. Yeah, he's a very endearing character because I think it actually comes up in the show that like he's got he's got this like really powerful drive to help people. Yeah, he he likes you know he likes helping people and he likes sort of helping people sort of reach a place in their life where they're happier, even if they're like complete strangers. Yeah, like in the second episode, he goes far above and beyond of <laughs> trying to help. Um... Oh, the other guy, the guy in the hat. Um, Shida-san. Shida, yeah. Uh, find his book, and I thought that was very, very sweet <laughs> and telling. You know, he didn't have to do that. He just met this person. <laughs> He's going out and interviewing yeah, high like, schoolers so, and all kinds of stuff. It was like trying to find where the, the weird circumstance of this guy uh, leaving his book. Um, Shida-san, I absolutely loved him. Oh, God, um, yes. He's like, he's like this like kind of like surrogate dad figure. For the uh, for the little bookstore family, my favorite moment of his in the series is when he comes home absolutely tear ass drunk from the night before, and he has somehow acquired a pet squirrel. Yeah, <laughs> he just has a squirrel now, yeah. and it's like, and he has to try and like piece his evening back together from like from what you know, like from where did he got the squirrel? Either? Yeah, it's like where did he, he, he had like a stamp on his forehead from a club, and <laughs> you know, and he's got a, and like where'd you get the squirrel? And he's like, I don't know, just woke up with it. <laughs> He's amazing. He's like a he's like a, a buyer. I th- it wasn't that like his sort of role. He's the guy who like goes out and finds antiquarian oh, books to yeah. buy. He's an he acquires the books basically for the shop, and then I think he probably sends books to sell at other shops too. Yeah, 
And um, but even like you know, it, even though he's sort of one of the like funnier characters on the show, he's sort of got his own sort of story and the reason, and the, like a reason that he's there. And he, again, he was he was just a, like a really. It's one of those things where it's like this is just a nice show. It's it's just like a nice thing. It's all of it these is, like really like nice people that to have it. this like nice relationship. His his episode, I think, is the the second <laughs> one where you get like yeah. his backstory and his. His relationship with a book called The Gleaners, which is a really interesting title. Um, I don't think it's ever been in English. As far as I'm aware, it hasn't. Yeah. But the way they tie the book and his relationship to the book, and then this other storyline about this teenage girl who ends up taking like the bookmark from the book and they piece together this mystery of why she did that. <laughs> and it, it ends in a very emotional kind of sad way but they connect over this this story and like a, a feeling that you get from this story and that's when this show really sold itself to me i was like oh damn <laughs> like this is some <laughs> good shit <laughs> so I, that's one of my favorite ones for sure it's just the second episode and yeah he's he's always wearing this like red like trilly hat yeah he's like the red hat dude um that's kind of his like motif i guess <laughs> i'm actually trying to remember if, if you ever actually see him on the show and he's not wearing the hat but i don't think you ever do it's always on there pretty much now already alluded to my favorite character is <laughs> yes. is fujinami san oh uh, the guy who owns he owns like a, a cafe that's that's near the bookshop he is just incredible he is the gossipiest bitch <laughs> It's like if there's if there's any kind of like information that they need that isn't related to books somehow, it'll be this guy just He literally time, slides up to people and like, he's like, Yeah. Like yeah, he will seem to just like literally just materialize from thin air to dish the hot goss and be like, Hmm, well uh, and he wears like he wears it, you know, it's a lot of it's set in the winter and he wears earmuffs and occasionally he'll just like pop them on his head so the back there like Sailor Moon buns. <laughs> it's so good. He's amazing. He's uh he's he's pretty camp, but he's he's yeah, but that's also he's just, why he's amazing. <laughs> he's and he's just like so like acerbic. Because <laughs> like in the first the first episodes about um, Daisuke trying to find a job, and he says to them, like Fujinami-san, why don't you give me a job? And he's like, mm, I only employ cute girls. Um, it's like, <laughs> and they're yeah. amazing too. Like the trio of girls that are just harassing him. <laughs> he's always like, get back to work. They're like, no, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, he was probably he was thinking he was probably my favorite supporting character he would always just sort of like appear at the appropriate time and like a lot of a lot of that first sort of seems like a contrivance but then like late in later episodes you actually like see him himself contriving reasons to go to the bookshop because <laughs> he's nosy essentially yeah he wants he to wants be to, around he wants to find out what's going on and it's like oh i love it he like <laughs> lives for the next door bookshop's <laughs> drama that they experience as they solve these mysteries yeah at one point in one episode it actually works against him because somebody's um stalking shiriko over this one particular book and um because fujinami-san is always hanging around they start to they start to be like wait is it him <laughs> he's yeah. always there when shit goes down are you doing this and he's like what no and even like even the show is kind of i think trying to imply it's, a, it's almost like a red herring yeah to be like oh what if it is him and I was like, no, please don't let it be him. I like him too much. But now he's just nosy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a better uh, choice to make, yeah. Now, I, I kind of I kind of broke the rules of our little show that we do. You did, and I'm really excited to talk about it. 
um i did sort of obliquely refer to it on twitter and i instantly materialized and i was like oh really in the hope that christy wouldn't notice but no she was like there immediately just she just sliding out of twitter's wall <laughs> being like hey what's up what like think? i had it but on in like four days and i go on i'm like oh um, in terms of story the show is supremely effective in its use of the idea of like there being relative stakes yes like at no point is there any kind of like world ending catastrophe but the or show's even like kind of... wider than personal circle catastrophe <laughs> yeah like the, but what the show does really elegantly is shows that you know there might not be like oh there's never a point where it's like oh the world is ending but it shows that every person's life is in essence its own world in a way and you know what may be something that's relatively insignificant to the rest of the world can be you know devastating to the person that it affects most like there's there's a, there's one episode where it turns out at the end of the episode the guy who they maybe thought was um a criminal is actually just he's just been keeping something personal from his wife because he's afraid of what it would mean for their relationship and it really it it just goes to show this like personal drama is some of the most affecting drama that there is like you don't have to have you know lives hanging in the balance it could just be as simple as like someone's happiness could be you know as effective a hook on which to hang a story you know and some of the time it's like you know it's just someone just like wants to find a book and you end up like really really wanting them to find this book even though you know in the wider scheme of things it doesn't you know it's it's minuscule yeah but it's like you're so invested in this person and it's like you can kind of see in the show why the the characters who work in the bookstore get really invested in it because i mean it's something that i've you know known from working in a bookselling environment it is really nice when you can find someone a, you know when you can like match someone up to a book that they'll like or um <laughs> there's uh probably the episode title that i appreciated most um there's a title which is something like a book about a dog a lion and a tanuki <laughs> and there's a house maybe yeah, um yeah, yeah. because i know from you know any any bookseller any librarian will tell you that you occasionally you do get someone who says um do you have this book i read when i was nine it was green and it turned out they were twins <laughs> it's like <laughs> okay well, let's go to Google. Um, <laughs> one of Daisuke's friends that he was in high school with, that he dated for for a time. Yeah, his ex-girlfriend. A, yeah, he's, um, she's like a successful photographer. And she's trying to find this children's book that she liked when she was a kid. And all she can really remember from it is there was a dog and there was also a lion and there was a tanuki. And they built and the a tanuki, house or something. Yeah, and the tanuki thing kind of threw them because it's like... Because I think she says it's a foreign book, but she's like, well, why is there a tanuki? Because yeah. they're made to to japan so and then it turns out it's this like you know it's this russian um children's book with this little like furry creature in it that you know she as a child or maybe as an adult trying to remember sort of remembered the illustration of it and went it's a tanuki probably but like that kind of thing where someone like says you know someone comes in because i had this myself because i read um howl's moving castle uh by diana Wynne jones when i was very young i think i was about five it was it was like one of the first like non heavily illustrated books that i ever read myself and i read it from the school library and then as often happens with school libraries you know stuff books get transferred like in and out sort of around the school district and um a few years like after that i'd be like what was that book i read i really liked it and then like i'd go into bookshops and i'd say there was 
a book and there was like a talking fire and they had a scarecrow in it and they began the Wizard of Oz. No, it wasn't the Wizard of Oz. I've got no, the Wizard. I've got all the Oz books. It wasn't the Wizard of Oz. But every every bookshop I went into, I'd get you know I'd say there was like a fire with a talking face in it and there was a scarecrow and they'd just go, "Is it the Wizard of Oz?" I'm like, "It's not the <laughs> Wizard of the Oz." Scarecrow, yeah. yeah. Because that was kind of like all I could really remember of it, and then you know it just kind of like passed out. Of my, I, I kind of like resigned myself to never finding it again. And then the Studio Ghibli movie of Howl's Moving Castle came <laughs> That's out, amazing. and I, and I was like, oh wow, that looks dope. I should read the book of that. And then I got it out the library, and I went, and like I got like halfway through it, and I went, hang on. <laughs> That's amazing. And I was like, and I was like, holy shit, this is the book. Um, so I've had that kind of like thing myself. That's the story that would be in this show. <laughs> <laughs> it totally is. It is. Because like, at one point in, in the episode um, where she's trying to remember the children's book and they eventually find, figure out which book it is and they say, and they find like, um, there was like a DVD because it yeah. got turned into like a, an animated film and um, they show, you know, scenes from the film sort of under, when, when they're talking about the stuff that happens in the book. Um, but like, I know from working in a bookstore, I've had that moment where I've, figured out what someone's sort of holy grail book is and that moment you know where they go oh my god that's the book and and, you know and it's like it's been this thing that's kind of existed at the back of their mind for years and like every time they've tried to like grasp hold of it it's kind of just like slid away from them and because i because i've i know because i've had that exact thing in my own life and when you help materialize the book yeah, so I kind of like I kind of like related to sort of to that aspect of it where you know finding a book for someone that means a lot to them based on extremely vague information. <laughs> Similarly, the character that I would describe as the main antagonist of the show is on the surface a very kind of prosaic kind of bad guy. You know, it, it's it's literally as simple as someone who wants something and doesn't care what happens to other people as long as they get it which you know and i think most people have met someone like that yeah and you they aren't what you'd think of as like an arch villain and it's kind of weird almost that you that i do think of this character as the primary antagonist i think so Des- despite the fact that you know there are other antagonists you know there's there's one antagonist who like tries to kill shiriko or like severely injure her yeah. over a book or like set fire to the bookshop but it's not that character that you kind of think of as like the nemesis um, it's almost because this character is kind of like an inversion of Sh- Shiriko, so you have that kind of like contrast with the protagonist, and it's it's almost kind of like it it it's you know to to put it in in book terms, Shiriko is like the Sherlock Holmes to this character's Moriarty. They're in, they're very similar. They have very similar skill sets, but they're applied in such different ways with such different goals that it's kind of. You know the show positions Shiriko as the protagonist, so this character kind of ha- can't help but seem like the antagonist just by sort of dint of being like a kind of distorted mirror image. Yeah, no, I I very much agree with that. Um, uh, are we gonna say the who the character is, or are we mm, we don't want to? I kind of I kind of don't want to because it's okay, such a. That's what I was debating. <laughs> I think it's just like a sort of profound moment in the show when the character turns up. You know, I was like watching it at like two in the morning by myself in the living room. This character turns up and I literally said out out loud, I went, oh, shit. <laughs> it's that kind of. Yeah. OK, so I won't say the name. It what must have been. It, it, it's what it must have been like to experience the reveal at the end of The Empire Strikes Back. Because <laughs> like 
before I'd even kind of like really heard of Star Wars, I kind of knew. Yeah, right. That Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker's dad. <laughs> the information comes um... before the experience in Star Wars for sure. <laughs> but the, but this character that we are, we are speaking of, to which we are obliquely referring, yeah, is the epitome of kind of the whole charm of the series we've been been talking about. Is that it's it's not high stakes. It's not. It's it's all entirely high emotional personal stakes, but it's it's not a live or die, you know, harm or flee or hurt or whatever type of situation. It's very much a insular personal issue. Yeah, <laughs> it's I've played got, out I've, within a mystery. I've got a quote in my head, and I don't know who said it, but it sounds like something that might have been in a Terry Pratchett book. The words personal is not the same as important. Yeah. That that's kind of the ethos of this show. It's like just because something is like very personal, it can, you know, it can be personal to one person. Not that you know, it it can be sort of like cosmically insignificant. Like like I said before, like every person's life is in a in a sense an individual world and you know, the stuff that affects that person affects them as, you know, as a component of the world. It's like, you know, it's all connected, man. Yeah, I, I, I feel that that that's, it creates a, a circular type of experience with this show because it's about personal issues and people's relationships to each other as well as books and you know, outspurts of other media, and it treats people like books, <laughs> where each book is its own little world and each book has its own ups and downs and importance and things that are only important within those pages you know within that binding and that's kind of like people (laughs) and that's what this show goes it digs into you know the history of a certain book or a certain story or the author's influence over a wider culture or like the publication differences of that's specific to japan and then it also goes into the specifics of individuals lives and how you know the context of their own experiences and how it ties into the books they read and the books that affect them and stay with them and they want to get back to or you know they want to refine and I just I don't know I just thought it was so fascinating the first time I watched it I was kind of blown away I couldn't quite absorb it so I've watched this series like three times (laughs) all the way through it each time I, I always consistently like wow this is so good for people like it's good about people it's got good people in it and it's it's a really amazing experience i would love to read it i really am upset that that no one's picked it up i don't understand yeah i mean probably like the the main thing that i like on the show is kind of exactly the the thing that you've been saying is like the, the way that books can act as vectors of interaction between people like you know i was one thing that I was conscious of as I was watching this is the fact that I am friends with Christy because we met somewhere where we were talking about like reading the same things like because yeah. you know um, I met Christy I met a lot of you know friends on a comic book forum kids if you don't know what a forum is ask your parents <laughs> um, uh, it was it was like it was like twit longer a good old Discord. message board, yeah. I don't, know, I don't know how the kids talk today. I don't know. Um, uh, it was like Twitter, but massive, and you, and you followed everyone. I met Christy on, you know, on an online forum where we talked about the stuff that we read, and there were things that we had both read, and there were things that one of us had read that the other hadn't read. 
that we then read because of the other person, you know. Yeah. Like me, like me and Christy have been, you know, we've been recommending books to each other. I, I think either you know passively or actively for pretty much as long as we've known each other. Because yeah. I know there was like even back. That's that's the basis of our <laughs> entire relationship. So it's so funny that it's now coming to this show. But yeah. <laughs> even you know even back like in the forum days when. Like I didn't, you know, we didn't know each other very well. We we basically knew each we other. We weren't as, on like, a first as... name basis at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like we we knew each other as screen names and little paper Text dolls. Color. We dressed up, <laughs> and yeah. Oh man. Aww. Oh, remember? Yeah. Remember two thousand and four? Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> Barely. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was pre kids, so it's probably just all the big haze for you yeah right pretty much it's a fog <laughs> yeah but even just sort of seeing like christy mention something that she'd read usually a shoujo manga um <laughs> and i would go oh i should read that and then i usually did and i sort of grew to respect and appreciate christy both as a person but also as a vector for book recommendations <laughs> for my uses <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh so uh unless you have anything you want to add about Biblia's case files that would be a pretty much a perfect segue into talking about what I recommended for you yes what I recommended for you was a book it was a book let me find my notes <laughs> oh no my life did did, did, okay. did you have any did you have anything you wanted to okay so moving on to part two here um, mm, I'm enjoy- I've I've been looking forward to this. I was recommended a book called Heart of the Steel by Avon Gale and Rowan Parrish, and it's about an FBI crimes agent named William Fox, which I gotta tell you, threw me for just the biggest loop because Fox Mulder's name is Fox William Mulder. So every time I read it, I was like, "Why is his name back?" Oh shit! Wait, <laughs> this is a oh different. Oh my god! I didn't know that. <laughs> Yeah. That was a, that so is a piece like, of X-Files lore of which I was unfamiliar. Yeah, yeah. Mulder's middle name, everyone, is William. And I know his middle name because, of course, I would. Um, anyway, that so is, every time is, I read it, I was like... Un- that is entirely unsurprising information for you to know. Yeah, I, I know. say this is your friend. Scully's middle name's Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> Just to put it out there. Uh, anyway, so every time I read it, I like my brain was like, what? Oh, wait. <laughs> From just years and years of training that I can't unlearn. I so... imagine it was. I imagine it was the same for people when they read Fifty Shades of Grey, that the characters weren't called Edward and Bella. I have no idea. Even it's... I wish I hadn't said that because even mentioning Fifty Shades of Grey in the same universe as the things that we're talking about in this episode, kind of like they they are as unlike as as two things could be. So anyway, so FBI art crimes agent William Fox, whose name does not roll off my tongue. Um, become starts to do a relationship, uh, kind of argument of into normal ish relationship with a <laughs> a socialite named Amory Vaughn, who's big on like art philanthropy stuff in the local DC area. He's he's of the art world. He's of the art world and high society and rich folks and everything. And he has silver silver hair. <laughs> That's important. So, um, I have no idea. I have no idea what you're what you might be alluding to. Yes, you do. Um, <laughs> I totally do. <laughs> it was a big part of the reason I bought the book for that cover. Maybe. 
Okay, yeah, so moving. This is. You I totally did know. mention the hair for another reason. Okay, <laughs> I, I'm gonna. I hope I can express myself in a way. I don't want this to dip into like negative. I enjoyed the book very much, but it took me a while to like figure out not not the book's fault, but like my own personal weirdness. This was kind of the first romance novel of anything I've ever read that's not fan fiction. So. <laughs> And there's no real difference between fanfiction and a romance novel other than one you pay for and one it's free a lot of the time. There's different fics, but most <laughs> are romantic. And uh, I don't know. I just, my br- I had the hardest time not overlaying and understanding that this is fanfiction. And that this is original characters with original whatever. But my brain just instantly, against my will, and I had to fight it back and I eventually won... But, like, I, I initially viewed this as a Yuri on Ice AU, and I, <laughs> and I could not backpedal from it. And I, I wasn't expecting that to happen. I, it was completely unwilling. It was shocking. <laughs> like, I was, like, a little scared. I was like, what's happening, brain? What are you doing to me right now? <laughs> like, this I, is I, kind of weird. I absolutely love that. I love that. That to me, that's such a perfect thing because it's something of, you know, it's something of yourself that you've brought to your <laughs> engagement with the book, and I think it's simply wonderful. I, I, I like that's who I saw. Those are the characteristic and like things I, I gave to these characters. Yeah. Also, very quickly, I should just point out that Avon Gale has written um, romance novels about hockey players. Oh so my God. if you did want that ice skating element. <laughs> Easily I, can done. Some, I can give you some recommendations after the show. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah, so obviously Emery Vaughn in my head was Victor. If you've never <laughs> seen Yuri on Ice, it's a character in the show with silver hair and is very much like Emery Vaughn. <laughs> and then the Yuri character was William, Will. And Will has a sister and Yuri has a sister and there's this snot-nosed punk kid that... <laughs> in the book that's the other yuri like i just oh God, i like there is as well i i just couldn't not plug wow. in these I, things that that completely never occurred to me to do at all i don't know why i i don't know why i did it i like i just had don't, it don't get me wrong i think it's amazing that you did it i think this is a wonderful you do this is a wonderful I, engagement. I, felt, I felt guilty and weird about it because i was like <laughs> this is someone's original story and it's not thick but because it's the way it is it's a romance story and it's similar in tone and like all these other things to fan fiction I've read. I'm making it fan fiction of something else that's not related. Like I felt crazy. I was like, what am I doing? And I felt bad. Like I, I'm very prophic and I'm very positive fan fiction and stuff, but this is like a, this is someone's separate work. And I was like, Oh God, what am I, what have I done? But by the end of the book, I, I I did see like in my own Amory Vaughn and my own will like you know I I did get there but it was just weird and I and because of that I read the book kind of really slowly I had an opposite experience from from you in one day I did it like over the course of probably three weeks because I was just well, I'd pick it up and I'd be like oh wow what am I doing <laughs> let let let's be fair Christy you have two children I have well, bugger true. all going on. I, I can ha- I can take the time to read a book in a single day should the fancy take me. <laughs> that was actually yeah. Heart of the Steel was actually the second book I read that day oh my of God. three. So that's amazing. 
I don't ha- I don't have two kids. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so I read it really slow because it's not like a super long book or anything. And and it's it's written it has a very flowing like prose to it. And it has the end of the chapters where you're kind of like, oh, and you want to keep going. But I just I don't know. I purposely took it really slow and I did go back and read it again. So I read it twice. Um, the first time I just kind of struggled with like <laughs> unficking it, I guess. And then the second time around, I was like, okay, I got these are their own characters. I got this. And then it was, you know, cool. But I was so shocked that that happened to me. And I think it's just because it's 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 a romance novel, and I've never read one like that, it's like a straight up romance novel. I, I can under I can understand like the impulse to to not want to do that, and you know, and engage sort of with it on its own merits which you know from the sound of things you were you know you were definitely able to do yeah but at the same time it's kind of like for you to like interpret that you know for, for your brain to interpret this as essentially as a yuri on ice fan fiction you know even though it isn't one but for your brain to kind of like overlay that sort of <laughs> secondary meaning that it could take on i i think that that's just you know that's your brain just basically looking at this thing and saying this reminds me of something that i love i i I think it's that and then honestly i think a part of it is just i've never again i've never purposely sat down to read a romance novel but i have purposely sat down to read fic so i think it was just sometimes a little bit as simple as i need to make this make more sense (laughs) this choice to make the most sense would be if it were (laughs) A Yuri on Ice pick, you know? Like, I just instantaneously. It was so weird. Like any genre, and romance is in a, is in a way a genre. You know, it, it's it's as much a genre as, say, crime fiction yeah, is. Yeah, absolutely. It does, you know, romance as a genre does have its own, you know, like, tropes. And I think a lot, for a lot of people, they won't have, unless they are, you know, a reader of like romance fiction which which does not to not to mince words but romance fiction is like in, in the sort of hierarchy of fiction i would say some people would place romance even below stuff like you know fantasy and fantasy isn't you know i i've i i'm trying not to go off on a tangent because this is something <laughs> feel free, books, feel free. books are something that i feel quite strongly about but occasionally occasionally like a book will come out and it'll be occasionally a book like um, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susanna Clark will come out and that book is all about magic and fairies like capital F fairies and you know journeying into fairyland and you know magic stuff going on and magicians and all that sort of stuff but it goes in the actual actual proper grown up fiction section and it's only it's purely put there for marketing purposes that's the thing it's like so much of those like genre divides are not not anything sort of inherent to the books themselves it's all about how books are marketed it's like something like jonathan strange and mr norrell is a book where a publisher's gone you know we we could sell this to actual people not just nerds you know <laughs> and i think you know rom- romance has a kind of perception in the kind of like not just in like the publishing world, but in the wider world of just being, it's you know, it's a it's a thing for housewives. Definitely, and even I even my own biases, I had to kind of check. <laughs> I had to I had to do that once or twice, and I I, I never did it with fic because it was just free, <laughs> and it was like you know you plug fiction and fanfic into mm. whatever your thing is, and 
I couldn't do that with this. So I, I think my brain like made it up. No, sure. I mean, what I'm sort of trying to like very meanderingly trying to get to, I think, is that for a lot of people, they will have really only engaged with a lot of the tropes of the romance genre within the framework of fan fiction. Well, that happened to me for sure. <laughs> yeah, because like I don't, I think like a lot of people, I don't think they'll have read a romance novel partly because of the part of the perception that I talked about that people would think, oh, you know, this isn't for me. But it's like, but at the same time, they'd go and they'd read, you know, they would go and read, you know, a story on the internet about two of their favorite characters from something just working in a florist yeah and not like a magic florist just a florist just, just, just a florist and it would just a it would coffee just... shop doing coffee shop stuff <laughs> um, i deliberately said florist instead of coffee shop um <laughs> i wanted to avoid you know because i don't want to sound like because because i'm very pro fan fiction i love fan fiction oh yeah so me too. My, so I, I, favorite... I eat that florist au and coffee shop au <laughs> shit up all, all day like one of Absolutely. one of my one of my absolute favorite books in the world is a fan fiction to the extent that I actually like it more than it's than the source material that it draws from. Um, but that's possibly for another episode. Um, oh no, let's talk about fan fiction forever. <laughs> um, so when I actually, cause I, I, as I mentioned, I'd um, read uh, romance novels that belonged to my grandmother and they were like, usually like, some of them were like less than a hundred pages long and you know for me it was just about experiencing because i was at kind of an age where i was just basically reading everything you know yeah. i was one of those pain in the ass matilda children <laughs> only without the carry powers <laughs> and um so i got back into reading last year after a bit of an absence from it for for um for not fun personal reasons which we won't dwell on here but um, uh, I sort of based on like it, it literally just came about as as I mentioned in the previous episode from like I, I followed some writers that I liked on Twitter, then they retweeted uh, writers that they liked, and I sort of I followed that writer and I, I bought the right those writers books. Um, I bought uh I bought a really cool uh like Regency um gay romance called The Lawrence Brown Affair by Cat Sebastian, and that was what kind of kicked me off into this like romance cool. romance world um I, I, I think because of this experience and i really enjoyed it and i, I got over my weird thing i i want to get pick out um sherry thomas's other like romance historical romance novels mm, that was definitely that was kind of one of my like main things from coming out of uh reading uh a study in scarlet women uh, the book that Christy recommended to me for our uh, Sherlock October project, where we where we talked about Sherlock Holmes for a month. Um, <laughs> we talked about that Sherry Thomas book for like a while. <laughs> a while we were a we were while, there a while. A bit. We were very like, excited <laughs> when I finished it, and I went and looked up Sherry Thomas's other work, and it was like, oh my god, the romance novels. I'm totally reading those. Um, I've tended to be to stick more to gay romance novels because I think that's a little bit sort of closer to where i am it's like i kind of prefer a... i do <laughs> yeah it's 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 like that kind of because cause obviously in the book uh will is gay and amory is bisexual um, which i enjoyed i thought that was cool it was very good <laughs> that was another muppet you, you tend to elmo again i did um but uh yeah so i i was like i was super jazzed for you to read this book but i sat in it for ages because i knew i wanted to do it as an episode of this <laughs> And then, you know, we, then we had to, we had to we had to talk about Sherlock Holmes for a month, and then it was the holidays, 
but then I waited and I bided my time because I I was I was pretty confident you were gonna like this book. I really did. I I liked a lot of the the that this is kind of tying into our last thing. It, it, the the stakes are all just small personal stuff. Like it's that's I guess the again first romance novel, but I feel like that's kind of the core of a lot of these stories and the drawl of them is that it's just the conflict between two people of whatever you know society or personal stuff or so on so forth and in this one it's an art thief and an art policeman (laughs) like (laughs) uh fbi crime agent art guy i can't think of the damn title he has shoot anyway i think think he's i think he's just uh, i think it's just fbi art crimes division (laughs) Yeah, I right? Like, it's a long... <laughs> yeah. But, uh... So that's the one on this one, and then, uh, like, that's the top layer, and then the second layer is, like, rich guy who's used to just kind of getting his way or figuring, finagling whatever he wants, and then guy who has to kind of struggle for stuff, and then below that it's rich kid that had parents that didn't quite understand them, and then, you know, middle-income family with parents that didn't quite understand them <laughs> like and then like you get you you peel back these layers and layers and layers and then you get to where they they understand each other and uh they can finally kind of have a more in-depth and real relationship and it's all very very engaging and it's interesting and you really root for mm. them to figure their shit out <laughs> well i was um i was like really like pleasantly surprised by like the pacing of the novel because when i first bought it and i made i think this was like my kind of expectations being influenced by fan fiction slightly but when i sort of bought it and you know before it arrived and before i read it i was kind of like oh yeah this is going to be a slow burn for sure um it, it's gonna be, it's gonna be like 10 chapters before they even hold hands nope. and uh, i think i actually tweeted about it i was like i'm 80 pages in and they've already had sex three times <laughs> yeah it's kind of like the first night they meet sure. they engage in they engage in fellatio and it's like okay cool i'm down uh, and and it only kind of escalates from there. So I was like, I w- I was well pleased with that. It was um, I had no complaints. Well, I I think I actually thought it had kind of a, a rhythm to it that I, I could recognize through my experience with reading a shit ton of fan fiction. So <laughs> so uh, you know, and it just trickled down, which is just a romance novel type story. So <laughs> I like the pacing a lot. Um, I'm glad it wasn't a slow burn type of thing. That's great sometimes, but you know, I'm I'm glad it didn't go that route at all. I think it made sense for these characters too. Did you have a particularly favorite moment in the book? Um, because I did. You did. Okay, tell me yours first. How about that? I'll think about mine. I kind of like the the Halloween party um thing that they did, where uh, Amber he turns his house into a kind of like haunted house thingy with like actual like actors and stuff that he's hired, and he's partly he's partly doing it just to try and outdo his neighbors because he hates them um, <laughs> i like his bit about how he, his neighbors are just jack <laughs> he's got very you know because he's got that sort of long silver hair for halloween he dresses up as uh lucius malfoy from the harry potter books uh and films uh played by jason isaacs and um they end up having sex while he's dressed like that and they're doing a kind of <laughs> will's kind of playing himself as a federal agent and they he's and Amory's a criminal and they're doing kind of like sexy role play about him stealing paintings and shit and it's like damn yeah okay I'm on board <laughs> for this 
wow. It's like okay. that, but then it's also a weird form of almost therapy because like they they yeah. through that kind of get over their issue with yeah. each other. <laughs> issue. Nah. Um. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> we're classy people. You um, are super high class. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that was that. That was probably my favorite part of the book. Okay, my favorite part is, I think it's just because I enjoyed the back and forth, and I thought it was very funny and clever. Is when he goes into the school to um, put a painting up for the. He has this person on his chairman of his board. He's kind of a douchebag, and Amory can't deal with it, so he's like <laughs> setting this dude up for um, whatever. And he runs across this kid who's in the middle of forging a famous painting <laughs> and he's like oh yeah he just i don't know he lays down some art knowledge on the kid and he's like what the fuck <laughs> like i don't know i just really like oh yeah he basically exchange. he basically tells the kid how to more effectively forge a yeah. painting by a particular artist and then leaves as mysteriously as he arrived the kid shows up later at one of his events and when there's a line that made me laugh and i can't think what it is but he's basically praising this kid for being a, a complete tool <laughs> like i just i don't know i, I like that is it, is it when is it when they're at the event and he sees the painting that belongs to this douchebag? Yeah. And then the, the kid, like, I think at one point the kid turns to Amory and says, could you spot me a 20, daddy? And I'm like, you're a little <laughs> bastard. I like you. Part where I think he calls him that. He's like, this bastard. I was like, yeah. So I like that. And that's the Russian Yuri guy in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as I say, that, that wasn't a connection that I made at all. Weirdly. Weirdly, though. Like, it's kind of like, why didn't I? Because if, if you'd asked me to say, you know, what could you know? What could this be, an AU fan fiction of? I would have said Hannibal. I could see that too. This yeah. is this is a Hannibal AU where nobody gets eaten. <laughs> but it's like, where's the fun in that? <laughs> Some parts of it like did remind me of fan fiction I'd read, but it was more kind of me thinking about I'm enjoying this part of this story, and it's reminding me of another story that I enjoyed. And I kind of have, you know, that's something that I have, you know, with most books I read. Yeah. You know, occasionally something will come up in a book and it'll remind me of another book that I read. Well, that was like my big thing. I mean, I really, really enjoyed the book. I read it twice, so <laughs> it's that. And, I, and it's going to inspire me to try more romance stuff. As, as I said, I have recommendations for you. Yes, I'll take them. I'm like thinking about that <laughs> Robin Hood one maybe yeah that's definitely on the list but um i'm i am you know i'm I'm really glad that you enjoyed it um it, it's the kind of thing like i was pretty i was pretty confident that you were going to enjoy it. <laughs> it it was kind of one of those things like as i was reading it i was thinking you know there are so many people in my life i need to tell about this book it's like because i've had that sort of since i've started reading again i've had that moment a lot where you know Me too. i have i have become you know very kind of evangelical about books that i've read that i've enjoyed um, to the point where I'm uh, hopefully by the end of this month I will have actually made the first proper entry on uh, a blog that I started just to talk about books that I read oh, yeah. uh, in a more kind of like formalized way than you know waiting for waiting for six months then recommending them to you and then talking about them <laughs> on a podcast but um, Heart of the Steel is one of the few books that I read last year that I read more than once there's a, f- a few books that we might get into in future episodes oh. As I say, when I finished this, I just... I mean, like, like you know, you said before, it's not a long book. And I kind of agree with that. But then it sort of finished. And I kind of immediately went back to the start and read it again. Because, you know, like, th- this book could have been twice as long. And I think I would have had that same feeling. I would have had that thing of, like, no, one more, though. I mean, 
the the edition i i've got the the, the paperback edition and there's there's a number one a numeral one printed on the spine mm. and i'm like it, i mean it does it, have kind of please feels open-ended to me a little bit like the story's not ended ended you know what i mean it mm. did have there that are, feeling there to are me. there are places you could go with these characters definitely like, if it is the first book in a series it's a very effective one because i think books in books as part of a series occasionally like you'll read a book that's like part of a trilogy and the first you know you'll get to the end of the first book but the story hasn't stopped you know this the the book doesn't have an ending yeah you know it's i mean like there's sometimes when you read like say say if you read like a fantasy trilogy you'll get to the end of book one and you know that there's more story to come but the end of the the end of that book feels you know like it makes the book as a whole feel cohesive uh where you know that it's by no means certain with heart of the steel if you know if this does become a series and there are more books about these characters i will be overjoyed and i will be pre-ordering them at my earliest convenience <laughs> or you know i would be ordering them at pre-ordering them at the earliest possible opportunity um like eight months before it comes out i will be there going this uh, this one order me this book please yes i know it well, it's, about you. Please it's order interesting it you bring that up because i have the kindle one it doesn't have you know one on the spine or anything like that at all so have but when checked, i read it i thought the is spine that... of your kindle i checked it it's just the spine <laughs> of my kindle <laughs> But when I read it, I distinctly did, I expected more. You know what I mean? Like, it does have that feeling of, it's still an ending for this story and for this book, sure. But it, it has that kind of lingering feeling to it. So I'm I'm invested. I want to know if it's going to be a series or if there's a second book coming out. Or, like, what's the one about, guys? <laughs> Tell me more. You can't just put a one on the spine of your book. <laughs> That's very and cruel, expect me, And expect me to be cool with it. Yeah. I need to know. You know, I have trouble sleeping at the best of times. This is making it worse. So hopefully they tell us what's that about. Is the hockey one a series? Um, I know Avon Gale, he has written a hockey series. Well, they, um, you know, I think that maybe it's a good chance. Avon Gale just had a book come out with Piper Vaughan called, I think it's called Off the Ice, which is a, you know, which is about a hockey player, which I've been sort of meaning to get. Um... I know Roman Parrish had a book come out recently called uh, The Remaking of Corbin Whale, you know, which was a gay romance with like, one, I think one of the characters was a baker and it's, so, you know, it's it's kind of like, I am, I am wanting to read, I, you know, I'm not saying that I'm only willing to read books by these authors if they're about these characters. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm more than happy to read whatever else <laughs> that they might put out because I really love this book. Um, one thing that I don't know that I would be interesting to find out is... The book basically has two paths. You know, at the, at the start of each chapter, it will either say Will or Vaughn. Yeah. And it will focus on one of them and kind of be from their perspective. I would be interested to find out if each each of the authors basically wrote uh... a particular character's chapters. I wonder if, if, you know, as far as far as I know, you know, I'm still very sort of new to romance fiction. So as far as I know, that could be you know, I've, I've, that could just be like a standard practice, but I don't um, know. I've never actually, I've never kind of like worked up the courage to actually tweet at them and be like, "Hey, so how'd you do it?" Um, but, yeah, I... <laughs> it's kind of, yeah. So I'm wondering, did one of you write Will and one of you write Vaughn? Is is that how you did it? Is was the like was it like a back and forth thing? Because that's a super interesting way to write a book. <laughs> is it like they had an outline of like, here's the story, where's the story going to go? Here's you do Will, I do Vaughn, 
Or do you think it's like an exquisite corpse type of thing where they just send <laughs> the next chapter back and be like, your turn? <laughs> like, I think it's probably the first one. If yeah, I, had to I guess. would imagine. But it'd still be interesting. Because if I was doing it the second way, there's no, like, no way would I not eventually get into like, and then Amory was a vampire. <laughs> then it's like, send off the next chapter. Like, good luck building off that. Yeah. I'm not saying the story would be better if he was a vampire, but it wouldn't lose anything. That's true. <laughs> So one one thing that that I really liked about the book is again it was kind of what we were talking about with like relative stakes where uh, I read I read another series um, last year uh, which was a, a similar kind of setup about you know a romance between uh, an FBI agent and a criminal but uh, it was it's a series called Playing the Fool by Lisa Henry and J A Rock. You know, and that's just more like a straight up. And I use the term straight quite wrongly. That that's like more like a, a more straightforward. You know, this guy's a fed. This guy's a criminal. This criminal isn't a billionaire who does it for kicks. Yeah, he's like a career grifter, and he ends up in witness protection with this FBI dude because he witnessed a murder. You know, and um, that's in a series called Playing the Fool, which I really enjoyed because it's, you know, it's a lot. A lot of it's to do with Shakespeare, and I'm I'm a big Shakespeare fan. Like each 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 um, book in the series. Like the first book is called Two Gentlemen of Altona, which I was like, no, oh, you, you've, you, you have enchanted me, click, and I bought it. Uh, and I really enjoyed that, but that sort of does get into the very kind of like life and death situations, you know, guns are drawn and fired on our, you know, on our heroes. Yeah. Um, but in Heart of the Steel, it's like, it, it's never kind of, because I was, as I was reading, I was kind of like, is he going to end up like being taken hostage at one point? Right? And stuff like that. There's a really funny thing that actually at the Halloween party where they're doing like the haunted house thing, and a, a dude like in a leatherface costume with a chainsaw like jumps out, and Will's first instinct is to push Amory behind him and like go for his gun. He's just you know that's kind of his like trained threat response. He doesn't shoot the guy or anything. Yeah. But he's kind of like he just, he ends up feeling like embarrassed about it. But I I was like, is that gonna be? Is that like setting up for something? And then, like, the next, is it not the next morning, but, like, there was one morning where he wakes up to gunfire, and Will's like, get down and whatever, you know, like, there's guys (laughs) outside with guns, and Amory's like, it's fine, don't worry about it. (laughs) And he's like, what are you talking about? It's like a Revolutionary War battle reenactment. Yeah. So, but I, like, initially, (laughs) I I was like, oh, no, the hateful war co-workers come and he's shooting at the them or whatever that was a really interesting thing for me because because i was expecting that kind of big um yeah me too like suspenseful bit at the end but it 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 wasn't sort of anything you know to do with armed fbi agents or anything like that it was like it was again it was it was a personal thing where it's like basically towards the end of the book amory does something that kind of really upsets will and it kind of makes it feel like he's he's you know he's crossed like a personal boundary in a really significant way that he has trouble that, that that will has trouble dealing with and they kind of like they like separate briefly and when that happened i was like no no <laughs> but it, it like it's of... one of those things where from the outside it's so insignificant but you know these characters you know their history and you know their thought patterns that it's it's not insignificant it's huge and, it, yeah. and it's gutting and you're like no why <laughs> at that point you're so invested that you you know you're like almost like shaking the book going why are you doing this to me who did you side with in that i can't mm, that that's an interest because i didn't side with anybody it just is something that happened and i'm a reader and i accepted it but i didn't like it (laughs) but i understood (laughs) vaughn but i understood vaughn's 
reasoning and I understood Will's reasoning and I just kind of was like, okay, book. I think it was a kind of, do I think Mike. Right. <laughs> I was kind of in a similar, yeah, I was kind of in a similar place because I could understand exactly why Amory had, had done what he'd done it and, yeah. you know, but then at the same time I can kind of understand why it had bothered Will so much that some, he, like, Amory had like, had done something that had, you know, and he'd done it to benefit Will and, you know, other people, but mostly Will. And it sort of, it came to him, like, so naturally. But at the same time, I can understand why it bothered him so much. That he's basically just saying, you know, it's it was kind of like, you know, you're so rich, you think you can just do everything, do anything that you want, and you don't think about the consequences for other people, and that kind of, Both you know... sides are balanced. And as the yeah. reader, I, I, I think that's the best part of this book, is that it does this personal, like, you, you get to know these characters, and, and then the, when the conflict comes up, it's a balanced issue where you can see both sides and you as the reader i at least didn't feel you know offended on another character's behalf more than the other you know what i mean and it kind of reminded me of various conflicts that would come up within um realm of the elderlings between the fool and fitz and because they would have issues i'm sad now i shit (laughs) i'm still not over it christy (laughs) i'm gonna cry sorry go on like they'd have issues and conflicts with each other that you understood both those characters so well i mean a little bit more fits obviously than the fool but it's still you had Mm. enough of a sense of the character that it made sense and and it was so gutting and then frustrating and then understandable that i i like when a book does that when it can accomplish Mm. that balance i think specifically with that i think that there's probably a tendency to side more with fitz among readers because we have more context for his yeah, life for sure. to sort of to understand you know he's the the point of view character for the the books that he's in you know and we you know as readers we've known him since he was a child whereas you know the fool by design in the books is is enigmatic but you can you know you kind of it's one of those things yeah where you do see both you can understand why both person in the interaction is feeling the way that they are and yeah. not, neither of them is particularly invalid you can infer more for the fool because he's not the direct voice but Fitz is the direct voice but he still has opinions and things where you're like come on dude <laughs> you're like <laughs> yeah. get over it <laughs> so that's how it works so that's amazing that the balance is made that way for with a character that you do have you know more information on versus a character you don't the reason that it works so effectively in heart of the steel is because we have, you know, up to that point, we've spent the entire book alternating between these characters' point of views. Um, we have, you know, you, you as a reader have an understanding of both of these fictional people, but you know, from kind of being in their heads a little bit, having them presented to you as they view the world, and then seeing the other person, you know, and, and then seeing them from the other person's point of view, and sort of it going backwards and forwards. And that's, I think, the the part that really struck me about the romance being a romance novel is you get Amory's side and you see how he sees Will. So his choices towards the end of the book make sense. And you see, you know, Will and you see how Will sees Amory, both in the negative and in the positive, And it makes sense. And I think that's something that was kind of enlightening to me for this type of genre that I've never really read outside of, you know, bunch of nerds writing people banging <laughs> um what i thought was really elegant is that the thing that does like lead, lead them to separate briefly um towards the end of the book is it essentially comes out of amory doing something impulsively the reason that it's it's like it's so 
difficult to fully like see things from Will's perspective is because like we already know at that point as readers that Amory is very impulsive. Like he sucked off a dude he literally just met at a party, <laughs> you know, because he wanted to. And you know, and then he steals a painting and gives it to that guy because he wanted to. So, you know, like the the first time the de- the description he gives of like the first time he stole something, he stole a painting that was like in a bathroom in a hotel room um or, or something like that and again in that moment he just the way he describes it makes it seem like you know it was an impulsive act and so you you know so he's been established all the way through the book as an impulsive character and then it kind of you know the the thing that does lead to the separation is kind of like in a way it really makes sense because like it's finally it's him finally experiencing like negative consequences for the shit that he does impulsively you know regardless of whatever his motives for doing it were yeah and like however deserving the person who was on you know who got the shit end of the stick and you know as a result of his impulsive act but because we've had him sort of contextualized throughout the whole book as a person who does impulsive things and doesn't necessarily think about what the consequences might be like you know he like he even says to to will at one point you know when they're doing their sexy role play on Halloween, where he's dressed as Lucius Malfoy, you know he he you know he admits to Will that he didn't know that Will was in the FBI when he sent him a stolen painting that was very yeah. obviously stolen that he would know was stolen. You know, it's like you're really lucky that the guy thought you were hot. Yeah. <laughs> imagine if you'd done. Imagine if you'd you know. Well, I guess you know if he'd been a straight guy, you probably wouldn't have sucked his cock. <laughs> but it's kind of like the only thing that's surprising about this is that it hasn't happened to you sooner. And that the stakes are so low. Yeah. Like, a dude broke up with you, which is bad, and I'm unhappy about it, but you're not going to prison. Could be yeah. worse. So, and again, you get kind of... The way that you're introduced to Will as a character throughout the whole book is... It's kind of like seeing him, like, loosen up a bit. Towards the end, you know, Amory learns to be less impulsive, especially when your relationship with somebody you should probably talk some of that shit over, you know? And I think Will learns to go after things he actually wants, you know, because his whole life he doesn't do that. He doesn't speak up for himself a lot of the time. He just kind of deals with stuff alone and he just kind of goes with it. And, uh, you know, he, he he wants to get back with his boyfriend then he's got to go get him, <laughs> go find him at the end. <laughs> so I think that's kind of his big thing. One thing that I really liked is that, it, you know, the, the, the book like actively touches on what it must feel like to be in a relationship with someone who is incredibly wealthy when you yourself are not yeah, you know because i think the sort of the distance in life experience that that you know that that can create it, it can be as like big a difference as you know like culture or age or or anything you know it, it can be a hurdle that you know maybe people have to get over in a relationship and i and I'm, i was kind of glad that they actually you know they did address it in the book where you know a couple of times will is kind of bothered by the fact that he's not a billionaire yeah <laughs> you know and it, it's not a kind of and it, it's not a kind of like you know bullshit like toxic masculinity kind of way it's it's more a kind of th- th- this is kind of like me i think possibly reading too much into it i don't know but you know it's it's the I, I can only engage with a work of fiction as myself, and I can only kind of really bring to it, like, the like my life experiences and what I know and stuff like that. As I think, you know, it's just true of probably probably most people. Yeah. You know, I'm disabled. I live on like state benefits based on you know tax contributions that I made in the 15 years or so 
that I spent working since yeah. I left school. And I'm kind of in a position now where I can't have a relationship with someone. Because if I did, I would lose my only source of income. So to have a relationship with someone, I would have to basically make myself like 100% financially dependent on them. And I, you know, that's that's good. That's a difficult thing, that's I think, for, for most people to do. I mean, you know, even in cultures and in times when, you know, that was essentially the lot of women you know you'd you'd have kind of no property of your own and you'd just you know marry some dude and his <laughs> your property would become his property you know places and times where that's been the case you know i mean part of the reason that i'm trying to write my own books now is because that offers partly you know it's, it's partly because it's something that i've always wanted to do but sort of right now it's kind of like it's really the only way that i'd be able to have like any kind of independence as a person like to get you know to get my own place to live or even you know something as like simple as having a relationship if if having a relationship can ever be simple yeah um something like that it's like i'm kind of effectively closed off from having like a meaningful romantic relationship with someone and maybe maybe that maybe that's been a factor of me getting more into (laughs) romance fiction who knows but you know, I could kind of understand why Will did feel uncomfortable at times about his relationship with Amory, but just based on the financial disparity between them. And, and like, and that dude works for the FBI. I mean, they're they're prob. I mean, they're probably not paid fantastically, but they probably make more than I do. They have a consistent anyway. Yeah, it, it really just depends. It's one of those it depends <laughs> on how long you've been there and yeah, all that kind so of stuff. So I kind of like brought. I was bringing sort of that aspect of my life to it. So when sort of Will did voice, like, or even just think about it, it was kind of uncomfortable that Amory could basically have anything. I, I was kind of like, yeah, I can kind of understand that because if I was to have, you know, if I was to have a relationship with anyone, they might as well be a billionaire <laughs> because because I'm expected to make myself like you know like i said 100 percent financially dependent on another person and that's kind of not really a healthy basis for a relationship even if you know even if you're with someone even if it's possible who who isn't you know who isn't like horrible <laughs> that's gonna that's gonna create friction at some point you know it kind of has to um well that's an interesting a- approach from it i mean my mine is just i have <laughs> an uncle who's like a CEO of an oil company. <laughs> so he's like craze balls rich, okay? Like uncomfortable level of rich, like can't morally be okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like we're just just for the amount of how much money he has, it's just a not okay. You're essentially telling me that you're related to a Captain Planet villain. Uh kinda, yeah. <laughs> Honestly. Thank um, you for waiting fourteen years to drop this information on me. <laughs> yeah, you know. And uh <laughs> When, when I got married, I, like, invited them. I didn't think they'd show up. And they showed up, and I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. And then <laughs> the next, like, the like the day, the two days before our wedding, they, like, had us go out to, we're in Hawaii, had us go out to the Four Seasons. They, like, rented a beach and had, like, private Who music. That? Who rents a beach? Who and, would like, even think that yeah, you could do that? It was the most uncomfortable, <laughs> awkward, strange thing ever. And it was so, and it, because it's like, they're, they're so nice. They were being nice. And it was a nice thing. And it was like for us, but it wasn't at all 
for us. <laughs> I'm sorry, Christy. Unless unless you are a rat and you haven't told me, there is no way that your family is big enough that you need an entire beach. Uh, it's nope. I can totally understand how uncomfortable that would be. I don't like it if you know the times that I've been out with my family and we've been seated at a restaurant with a table that's slightly too that is for slightly more people <laughs> that are in our party. I felt very uncomfortable oh, with yeah, that. Yeah, me too. And you're telling me these motherfuckers rented a beach. We'll go to a restaurant that's completely empty. <laughs> We'll go to the pizza place down the street that's totally empty and my kids want to sit at the one seat that's like 12 people. And I was like, no, <laughs> there's no way 12 people are coming in. But I'm like, no, <laughs> we don't sit there. So it was really awkward. And it made it even weirder because at the end of the night, there was a, a turtle on the beach, which are protected in Hawaii. You're not allowed to touch them. And my dumb cousins <laughs> go over and they're like touching it. And I literally said, holy shit, you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> They're like, why? And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, it was the most bizarre day of my life. It was really weird. Sorry, I had to, like, add that because it was just the icing on the whole strange cake. Explaining why you cannot touch this endangered freaking species. Good times. Noodle salad. (laughs) But that's where I came from. I was like, like, every time Will was kind of, like, awkward about it, I was like, I feel you, bro. I know exactly what you're feeling. Um... (laughs) It's got a bit weird, didn't it? It's got a bit weirdly personal. Yeah, um, that's all right. That, that's good. That it tends to, I think. Oh yeah. That's that, that's prob- that's like pretty much our USP at this point. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm so glad that you like the book. I'm uh, as I say, I was pretty confident you'd like it, but you know, I'm a narcissist and I want people to like the things that I like. <laughs> it's so like fun and affirming, isn't it? When you're like, you do like it, and they're like, yeah, you're like, yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I know what you like. Well, I'm glad you liked my... How did you enjoy... Oh my god, I forgot about the one thing I did want to ask you. How did you enjoy okay. your first like non-Kamen Rider Super Sentai Japanese drama? What? It was it was very pleasant. I, I really enjoyed it. Very um, good. I'm slightly upset that it, there was only 11 episodes of it. There's 11 episodes of this one. There is a new movie coming out this year live action movie and an anime probably like two years from now or whatever um film See, i looked i looked at the manga but the characters designs are it's gonna sound weird but they're too manga they like because <laughs> i've got like yeah I've, you know because i have the like vision in my head of these like characters being like they are in the tv show yeah it's gonna be it's weird when like, i watch the movie i'll be like ah who are you <laughs> who is this imposter yeah but hopefully they'll charm me and i'll love it just as much i think that's probably what's gonna happen yeah um but um, yeah, I think we both sort of had a pretty charming experience this time out. I did want to ask though, did you think that ed- did you find the um music weird, or like the editing weird at all? This is something my favorite thing film. to ask about what making people watch Japanese stuff. No, I I kind of didn't. I actually really liked the like. I do too. It it was almost kind of like you know it was like the music you get in a in a tokusatsu show. You know, where they'd have like a revelation and then this like weird synth music would start playing. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, let's go confront someone about a you book. Know, re- about a book and some really quite, you know, in the grand scheme of things, insignificant stuff. Yeah. But the music just got was like, it pumps you up like so much for it. Yeah, right? It, it was shouldn't... like the most perfect hype machine ever. And I was like, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> Let's go over and politely talk to them. <laughs> it should have been dissonant 
but it wasn't. It just worked. Yeah. And, and the kind of the whole show was like that. <laughs> like that's why I liked it. <laughs> that was my only like concern per se was like it's like either the music will like take you out of it or you'd like go with it. And I think some of that comes with you've seen a Japanese show before. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this is the first one ever. It'd probably be a little too a little bit like what? <laughs> Why are we? Y- you know, okay. it would suddenly it would be like if they suddenly started playing dubstep on Murder She Wrote. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's good. I'm glad. <laughs> I totally thought I was like trying to think where earlier when you said any more, and I was like, no, but that was definitely it. Okay, cool. So well, yeah, that, that's kind of cool. what the ends of these always turn into. It's kind of like any other business. Um, yeah. At least we didn't go off on a tangent about Godzilla this time. Yeah. Good. <laughs> but um, yeah, so uh, that was me and Christy talking about things that we experienced and liked um chrissy recommended for me uh antiquarian bookshop biblia's case files i still don't know if i'm saying that it's right the, the longest name ever biblia case files and i recommended to christy the book heart of the steel by avon gale and rome parish which despite my resolution to read more this year i think i am probably going to read like again this year because i really liked it and i've enjoyed talking about it to you (laughs) and i'm definitely gonna be checking out more books by the same authors i will too i'm gonna i'm gonna make try to read more um romance novels this year you know i I did my yearbook last year and i got back into reading just like you did and uh but this year i'm gonna focus i think more on like certain genres that i just don't have that much exposure to i think certainly the way heart of the steel is structured where you know it's quite short it's like reasonably short chapters and they often they often but not exclusively uh alternate between different characters i think it, it, it's a good book that like if it's say like if you don't have a lot of time to read this is a really good book for that because you know you can just like read like a chapter at a time yeah that's what i ended and, up doing <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you know it, it lends it you know structurally it lends itself really well to that and um i think if you've never read a romance book it's a good entry one, I think. It was for it me. It definitely is. It's like this, this kind of Heart of the Steel kind of like, from what I know, based on sort of remembering stuff that I read when I was a kid and sort of stuff that I'd read last year prior to this, which was only a couple of books. But like, if if this was your first romance novel, you, you would totally understand the appeal. Like, it's so well written and it's it's such a completely and expertly realised version of itself if that makes sense you know it's yeah. and aside from anything else it's just a really good book it's like some you know because you know i like fantasy fiction and i like crime fiction and but sometimes you know you, you sometimes it's really nice to just read a story where all the stakes are personal and nobody dies yeah and it's just nice and some and they get a cat that you that, know spoilers <laughs> yeah, they, get they get a cat, a cat. <laughs> they get a cat uh that 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 again is is the appeal of i think both of these things i like when we suggest things that we can find connections to to, even though they're completely like off the rails (laughs) different yeah so i think that's pretty much it for this episode um Mm -hmm. once again you have listened to us uh, waffle on about stuff that we like and that we've introduced to each other um so join us again in two weeks when we will do the same thing again we start the dance over yeah what's it gonna be are you are you also dreading the day where one of us recommends something that the other one doesn't like? <laughs> you think it'll happen? Well, 
I don't know if this is quite the right venue to air this in Christie, but last year you recommended a manga to me called What Did You Eat Yesterday? <gasps> you said you really liked it, and I thought it was okay. Oh my gosh. I wasn't like... You were not blown that, away. I wasn't that jazzed to read any more of it. I was kind of like, okay. It's I a mean, weird It's one. really stupid because I read one book from the series, <laughs> but at the end of it I was kind of like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, I, you know... I, I, okay, okay, hold on. We have to hash this out live on <laughs> television here. Not television. Podcast world. Uh, this, the author, Fumi Yoshinaga, has another series that I actually wanted to tell you, but I looked it up and it's completely out of print, especially in the UK. Wow. Yeah. As, as an extra slap in the face. As an extra slap in the face. It's called <laughs> Antique Bakery, and it's about a bunch Ooh. of gay dudes baking that food. Sounds, that's relevant to all of my interests. <laughs> I'm aware of this, so, but that's the second closest I could get. Was the what did you eat yesterday? Which is like not, it's a really I'm popular. Not it was bad. I'm not saying series, I didn't enjoy it, but it, it's less. Thought... It's less. Because um... <laughs> like after you recommended it to me, I got it and I read it, and then you were telling me that you really liked it, and I was like, <laughs> should I say that I thought it was only okay? <laughs> that's fine. Don't ever hold back. It's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, love I think it. partly the, partly the reason that I've decided to tell you this in such a public way is that it's gonna make it easier for you if I ever do recommend something that you weren't that fussed on. <laughs> now you know you'll have that righteous anger <laughs> stored away. You'll Mollet. be able to draw. You'll be able to draw on. Should I? Should I recommend eh. you a clunk? Should I recommend you a clunker? Nah. You'll just be like, hey, remember when you said you didn't like that manga? Well, payback's a bitch, ain't it? <laughs> nothing. Um, nothing beats. My husband Lee, he he's aware of our podcast and what we do, and he's like, you know, what you should oh, do. So. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you know, what you should do one time, and I'm like, what? He's like, you should suggest like exercise or like get on your bike and do this. And I was like, how dare you? <laughs> he's like, yeah, that's how you get them. I'm like, what are you talking about? What do you what do you think this? Is? I like a a, a bike. So you better like watch out. To... I'm gonna. Make you do it. A bike a... is my primary mode of transport. I ride my bike like twelve miles. <laughs> like, I ride my bike something like twenty-four miles a week on my bike. It's how I go to the shops. Well, I am he, no str- yeah. I am no stranger to a bicycle, sir. <laughs> but he's, I don't know. I think his suggestion was like suggest a workout tape. You know what I mean? So you'd have to be like in your living room doing insanity or something. <laughs> It's like, See, who, I who thought, are you? What is this mad? I, I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna say that he told you, because because I was assuming that your husband wasn't an asshole. Um, <laughs> you thought I'm wrong. kidding. I'm kidding. He's nice. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, but we're enemies now. Um, <laughs> not really. See, what I thought Lee was gonna tell you to do was to recommend something that you hate, and then see if I like pretend to like it as as a way to like gauge <laughs> that's pretty whether good. I'm being honest in my reactions. That's even more fascinations. Yeah. So if anything, I'm eviler than <laughs> than suggesting something as simple as a workout tape. I mean like do exercise. <laughs> you know, it it's it's a cheap and easy way of manufacturing um serotonin. True. You know, that's partly the reason I have a bike. But the main reason is that I'm scared of driving. So word on that. <laughs> this and other possibly more personal revelations will be yours to enjoy on future episodes of The Wreckers with me and Christy. As usual. Um, you should expect these truth bombs every once in a while, everybody. Uh, gonna aim to... Gonna aim to... 
get a, at least one two episode block out every month. That's um, the goal. This is the year but, of podcasts you know, for me. We we both have lives, so don't hold us to it. But I think that this has been the best possible way to start 2018 for our for our little venture. So um, join us again in hopefully two weeks when we do all this again. Bye. Aloha.